uh, of speaking that greeting to clerks and uh, saying Merry Christmas. And it's interesting, uh, those who uh, identify or those who are part of the family of God resonate with that. You can see it and feel it in their spirit. You see it in their eyes. And those that respond back uh, when you've said Merry Christmas and they just simply say, thank you, there's kind of a deadness there. Have you, have you sensed that? I mean, I, it's just interesting. So Merry means happiness, joyfulness, cheerfulness. But the word Mass, that comes from two words, Christ and Mass, that's where we get Christmas, Merry Christmas. Uh, of course, Christ means anointed. And when we talk about anointed, we're talking about the Son of God. We're talking about the promised Messiah, anointed, the King, the, the one that she was singing about, the one that is going to reign in the New Jerusalem and forever. Uh, that's, that's the Christ anointed, Merry Christ Mass, Merry Christ anointed one. And the last part of that is Mass. And it's really a Catholic term relating to the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross. You know, we, we think about Christmas as being about, all about the birth of baby Jesus. But Christ Mass, Christmas, is really about the death, about the sacrifice that Jesus made on the cross. And so when we say Merry Christmas, it, we're really saying cheerful death of Jesus. <laughs> cheerful death of Jesus. You stop and think about it. We're saying cheerful death of Jesus. And it's never happy or cheerful that someone dies. But I, at least I'll just speak for myself. I, I say Merry Christmas to you this morning in this sense. It is a cheerful thought. It is a happy feeling inside me. It is a joyful occasion that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. That's why it's happy. That's why it's cheerful. That's why we can say happy death of Jesus because the coming of Christ and the death of Jesus on the cross satisfied the debt payment that all of the world, including me and you, have owed God that has broken our fellowship with Him and Jesus has come and He's taken care of that if we put our faith and our trust in Him. And so happy death of Christ, yes, if it were not for that, is what Zach was talking about as we gave our tithes and offerings. If it had not been for that, where would we be? You know, sometimes, and you say, why would you bother to do that? Well, because sometimes we go with the flow. We just, we just go with the flow of the culture. We just play along with whatever the, the news cycles uh, speak about or whatever the movies are talking about or, or whatever the isms are without thinking what we're doing or even what we're saying and why we're doing it or why we're saying it. And here's the problem with that. After a little while, uh, sometimes it could happen that our children and our grandchildren, who mean so much to all of us, have no clue why we're exchanging greetings and exchanging gifts with one another in the first place. If we have that hidden, if we have that concealed, if we, if we don't find the truth of, of what that is really about, happy, cheerful in my heart is that Jesus died for me. It's not about a baby being born in a stable. It's about he died for me and he rose from the dead and he overcame death and he overcame judgment for sin and he did that for you and for me. And that's cheerful. That's happy. Happy that that happened. Has everybody got that? We get that? That's good. It's good. So we, when we say Merry Christmas, we can say, well, you know, this is a tremendous thing what we're speaking. And the world doesn't really understand that. Now, as you know, and I'm getting a little preachy here, and I usually say, hopefully, I say something that is an encouragement to somebody. My hope and prayer is that everybody leaves a service that I've been a part of somewhat encouraged. Uh, it's likely that every once in a while there's a prod, or there's a little prick, there's a little kick to, you know, for all of us. And I was having this conversation with my wife, and she sometimes will talk to me about what the Lord's laid on my heart and how the sermon is developing and that sort of thing. And I said, you know, one of the hardest things for me is, I, I, is the integrity of practicing what you preach. And so you talk about these things, and I, it's very, very difficult. If you have integrity, and I pray that I do, and I pray that you do, that you understand what I'm talking about, and that is it's easy to talk it, it's, it's, it's not easy to live it. 
And so, so that, that's a dynamic challenge. And so, so here's, a little, here's a little prod. Here's a little perspective. And it, it might aggravate or you might be tempted to think of it in, not in the way that I mean it, but I, I hope that you understand what I'm getting ready to say here. As you know, the term happy holidays in one sense is really nothing more than a positive greeting about the festive spirit that happens leading up to Christmas and usually concluding New Year's Day. There, there's this festive spirit that happens around the world and especially in the United States of America where happy holidays, is a, it's a positive statement. There's nothing at all wrong with a positive happy statement about greetings to people during a festive season. But the true meaning behind Christmas, which, as I said, points to the death of Jesus on the cross as a sacrifice, gets lost in the phrase, happy holidays. It's lost. You can't, you can't see it in there. Now, you and I can say happy holidays, and we can mean a lot of stuff behind that because we understand. But the world has no reason to get anything spiritual from that other than a positive, happy greeting. If you follow what I'm saying, happy holidays. Why? Because in happy holidays, there's no Jesus in that. And if there's no Jesus, there's no sacrifice for sin. If there's no sacrifice for sin, then there's no forgiveness of sin. And if there's no forgiveness for sin, then there is no true future, no hope, no peace, which we're talking about this morning, and no salvation. So some of you may have seen a new commercial from the Polish National Foundation, and they are sending America greetings of thanks for helping Poland with their desire to have democracy. And it's a nice sentiment. Anytime somebody bothers to say thank you, it's a nice sentiment. It's a kind thing to do. It, it, is, it is appreciated. And the spirit in which they send that thank you for helping them with democracy is a great thing for them to do. But when we get mixed signals with the message, we need to be discerning about the truth according to God's word. So, if it works right, here's the commercial. We, the people of Poland, wish to extend holiday greeting to the people of the United States and to thank you for your role 28 years ago and helping us secure our freedom at Freedom in Hanukkah. Merry Christmas. Hey, Mubarak. The Soviet Union. Happy holidays. Happy holidays. Happy holidays. Happy holidays. Happy holidays. So, okay, the problem is not with the thank you. That's not the problem. Thank you for the help with democracy. The problem is in mixing happy holidays with Merry Christmas, cheerful death of Jesus on the cross, spoken by some leaders who do not accept Jesus as the Son of God, nor the Savior of the world. It's mixed. So here's the thought. A simple thank you for America's help in establishing democracy in Poland would have gotten the point across. A simple thank you. Thanks for helping us with democracy. They didn't have to mix this other stuff. So you're saying, well, what's, your, what's your beef? Why, why bring this out? Well, yes, I'm glad they were not fighting with one another in the commercial, aren't you? I'm glad they weren't fighting. Yes, I'm glad they were not pointing guns at each other because they have differing views about some spiritual issues. And yes, I am glad people can live with different opinions and not have to kill each other, although that does happen around the world from time to time. I am glad for that. I really am. But to mix Merry Christmas with Happy Holidays by spiritual leaders some of whom deny what the Bible says about the person and work of Jesus Christ as the Son of God, is to dumb down what Christmas is all about. It dumbs it down. 
Now, we're adults, most of us here, but we have young people that are growing in the culture and they're trying to understand what is our heritage and what is, what is our spiritual backdrop out of which we understand things. And listen, I, I, I don't have peace in my spirit until I can get that commercial sorted out in my mind. That's what I'm trying to say. I, I hope you had, I hope you thought, I got to sort that out. Was that a good commercial? Was that a spiritually sound commercial? What, what, what does Jesus think of the commercial? What am I, as a follower of Christ, supposed to think about that commercial? I, I needed to sort that. And so a lot of times when I'm at a movie, or, and I'm not often there, but when I do, or when I see a commercial, or when I see a television program, I do as you do. And sometimes I have this flag that goes up. And I go, I have an uh-oh. So wait, I had an uh-oh on that commercial. I had an uh-oh. Okay, now help me sort this out, Holy Spirit, because they weren't fighting, they weren't arguing, they weren't pointing guns at each other. I'm glad for all of that. We got to live with peace. We got to, oh, I'm for all of that, but why did I have an uh-oh? And see, I don't have peace in my own spirit until as a minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ, I can share that admonition with the people of this church and anyone else who would care to listen. Why? Because it's my responsibility to not let these things get dumbed down in our culture. And so that our kids understand this is not just about happy holidays and mixing in with happy death of Jesus Christ for people who the death of Jesus Christ meant nothing in terms of covering the sin of the world. That's, that's the concern that I have. And I hope that you had a concern. And I hope that in this season, that, it's, that it's, uh, it's a discerning thing that God begins to help us question some things. It doesn't mean we have to be mad. It doesn't have to mean we have to be radical. It just means we have to think properly about what truth is, especially with regard to the Son of God. Can I get an amen on that? I hope. Amen. So speaking of peace, let's talk about it for just a moment before we head out into the snow. This, this Advent season leading up to Christmas Sunday morning, we've been trying to look at the big picture. And we've looked at hope, and we'll, we'll talk about that a little tonight. We've looked at hope. We've looked at love. We've looked at joy. And this morning we want to take a look at peace because uh, all of those words describe what happens when we think about Christmas and about the role of Jesus Christ in our lives. So this morning we want to say a few words about it, what it means how to have it, how it relates to Jesus coming and dying for the sins of the world. And so let's, let's go. There are two phrases that we usually hear when it comes to uh, peace and God. Two phrases. They almost always go along with anything about peace and God. The first one is peace with God. And the second one is peace of God. Peace with God. Peace of God. What is the difference besides just the wording? What's the difference? And is there a difference? Well, let me take you to a few uh, scripture passages here as we're thinking about the first one, peace with God. Isaiah 57, 20 and 21. This is what it says. But the wicked are like the tossing sea, for it cannot be quiet. And its waters toss up refuse and mud. There is no peace, says my God. For the wicked, there is no peace. We talk about peace. We all want peace. Uh, we try to practice it the best we can. But there is, God says, no peace for wicked people. Romans 2.12, listen to what he says. For all who have sinned without the law will also perish without the law. And all who have sinned under the law will be judged by the law. So in other words, whether you heard about the law, the Ten Commandments, and Jesus Christ, or whether you didn't, if you heard about it, great. If you didn't hear about it, everybody's under the same deal. Everybody's sinned. How do we know that? Romans 3.23. This is a very familiar passage to most of us. For all have sinned and fall short. You just stop right there. All have sinned and fall short. And what's the uh, conclusion to that? Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death. And you just stop right there. There's no peace for the wicked and the wages of sin because all of sin is death. Separation from God. 
So, the point being, God has a controversy with sin. And God has a controversy with people who commit sin. And he says so by, there's no peace, says my God, for the wicked. Now, last Sunday, I preached a message and, and I shared the, the gospel uh, in that message. And I called the church to be open to taking care of that wicked problem that we all have, that sin problem that we all have. And a young man named Bobby, he's here this morning, and he was here at the altar. Most of you were on your way out to lunch and that sort of thing, but Bobby and I had a significant moment at the altar last week. And Bobby prayed a prayer to invite Jesus Christ into his heart and life. Uh, and it was a wonderful thing. Uh, Zach has been working with Bobby and helped plowing up the ground and preparing. And as we presented the gospel, there were eight or nine hands that went up. But Bobby in particular, and Bobby, I'm sorry, I didn't ask permission to say this, but I didn't point you out and didn't make you raise your hand or stand. But Bobby, Bobby prayed, and it was a sweet moment where, where Bobby says, I, I don't want to have this on me. I don't want to have anything in between me and God. I don't want to be owing God for something that I can, can seem to never pay off. It's a debt that never goes away because I am imperfect and I just need a Savior. And he prayed and asked Jesus to be a Savior. But because Jesus came as a worthy sacrifice for our sins and died to cover our sin debt, see, believers in Jesus can be forgiven and like Bobby can be set free from sin and death. How do we know that? Here's a great verse. John 3, 35 and 36. Listen, to this, is, this is worth your sliding into the parking lot this morning. The Father loves the Son and has given all things into His hands, Jesus' hands. He, you could say she, who believes in the Son, that's Jesus, capital S, Jesus. That's what Bobby said. I said, Bobby, do you believe in Jesus? Yes. Do you believe He died on the cross for you? Yes. Do you ask Him to come into your heart and life? Yes. Do you want Him to be your leader, your Lord, and your Savior? Yes. He who believes in Jesus has eternal life. But he who does not obey the Son will not see life. That's bad. Nobody wants to hear about the bad. Nobody wants to hear about the judgment, but that's there. He who does not obey the Son will not see life. That's heaven. But the wrath of God abides on him. So in believing in Jesus as our Savior and living for him, we can have peace with God. Peace with God. That means that the controversy that he had over our sin is no longer keeping us from fellowship with God. And we have the promise of eternal life awaiting us. And that is the emphasis on peace with God this morning. And that would not have been possible if Jesus had not come. All right, here comes the scripture. Peace with God, Romans 5, 1. And here's what it says. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Not through religion, not through uh, contemplating and meditating in the desert somewhere, or in a tree stand, or on a cruise somewhere, or even walking the beautiful streets of old Jerusalem. It is not in that. We have been justified by our faith in who Jesus is and what he came to do. His dying, his death, his Christ mass, the mass, his death on the cross has made me cheerful inside because I now have peace with God. And it is not through Muhammad, it is not through Buddha, it is not through whatever-ism, it is through the one and only Lord, Jesus Christ, the Bible says. So the question would be, before I move on to the second phrase, do you have peace with God? You see, we would have thought maybe last week everybody at Lakeview had peace with God. We all look kind of good and we all feel kind of good and we sing the songs together and we bow our heads and we pray. Might even have put a few coins in the offering plate and people were nice to each other and we shook hands and we did all of that. But eight or nine people raised their hand and said, I don't know if I have peace with God and Bobby was one of them. 
And so Bobby said, that's what I need. And so you kind of know. See, if you've got this little doubt, this little wonderment about, I don't know if I really have peace with God, because I don't really know if I slip and slide and I crash and I burn and I, and I go to stand before God uh, today on my way home because the roads were treacherous and this uh, life is finished now. Would I go to heaven? Would I know that I'm going to heaven or whatever? And if you wonder about that, well, then you don't have the peace, peace with God. You don't have it. Because when you have peace with God, it's in your knower. He brings, a, he brings a peace into your life. That's what I'm going to talk about next. What about the peace of God? We understand peace with God because there's enmity. There's, there's enmity is strife. It, it is, it is, it is a, a conflict between uh, two people. Uh, those of you who are, are married, you can relate to this. Or in a friendship, sometimes these things happen. And so I can have something on my mind early in the morning and uh, my wife can fix me a wonderful breakfast and she can, you know, uh, she, she makes sure that I, this just she, part of her love gift to me, she makes sure that my shirts are laundered and they look good and I'm presentable when I go out in public and I'm just, so, I'm grateful. I don't have, some, some of you don't have that deal. And so you wear it wrinkled or you do it yourself. Okay, so, but... But I, I have that luxury. I have that blessing. I have, I, I, and I'm very thankful for it. But I can get up someday and I can put on a nicely ironed shirt and a, a, a fresh pair of uh, pressed pants and, and, uh, and the other stuff that are, I don't want to mention are clean and uh, all that stuff. And I can go out whoop-de-doo and it's wonderful. But I could have something on my mind that is troublesome to me. And I can have a little bit of a irritability in my tone. I, I, didn't, I wasn't thinking to be that way. I, I didn't mean to come across that way, but I kind of did. Anybody been there before? I kind of did, and I could see on the way out the door that I might have hurt or wounded her, her spirit just a tad. And then I'm driving to the office, and I'm thinking, oh boy, I, I think I blew it this morning, and she's been such a blessing, and and I was, I was not as kind and, and as I uh, should have been and affirming as I should have been. And uh-oh. I don't know what the rest of the day is going to be like. I'm going, uh-oh. <laughs> oh, boy. Look what I did. And so I get on my phone. And if it's a really bad one, I don't do it on the phone. I call. But, I, but uh, if it's not a really bad one, and I just kind of flubbed up a little bit kind of thing. And I'll get on and I'll send a text with one of those little pictures and it's got a big heart on it and it said, I don't think I left in the best way and I certainly did not mean for and please forgive me and I love you so much and blah, blah, blah. And if I get a heart picture back, it's a good day. It's a good day. And, 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 and so, so there, there's a lot of joy when there's no... When there's no strife in a relationship, and there's there's peace, so peace with God, it's it's cheerful, it's joyful, it's a, it's happy. This is Christmas, and it's happy time. If you have peace with God, and if you don't have peace with God, you can have peace with God before you leave this place. You can have peace with God, and it's really a great great experience. But what about the peace of God? What does that mean? What is the peace of God? And how do I get some of that peace in me? How do you get some of that peace of God in you? Well, we're, we're in a series on, in Philippians, and, and we're not to chapter 4 yet. But we'll eventually get to this uh, down the road uh, if Jesus tarries. But let's look ahead in Philippians to chapter 4, verses 6 and 7. Listen to what he says. Be anxious for nothing. Right off the bat, that's a problem. But, um, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And, listen, here it is, here's the phrase, the peace of God. Not peace with God, because hopefully we've settled that in our relationship with Jesus. And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your heart's and your minds in Christ Jesus. Now let me ask some questions. Um, do you think that somehow God is wringing his hands over whether or not Marion is going to have a new steakhouse sometime before we die? 
You think God is worried, worried about that? It's like, where is this new steakhouse? You know, is it ever going to be on the bypass, whatever? You think God might be wringing his hands this morning over whether the Dow is going to set a new record in 2018? You think that God is somehow wringing his hands in heaven over whether you and I will get a tax break actually this year, if it will affect each one of us. You suppose that new thing is going to really put a little more in our pockets or whatever. You think God is wringing his hands over whether that's going to happen or not. Or do you think God might be wringing his hands over Trump's tweets or the rocket man's next missile? Do you, you think God is up in his heaven wringing his hands over all of these things you see, the God of this universe has everything in his hands. Isaiah 45, verses 5 to 7 says this, I am the Lord and there is no other. There's no other Lord. There's no other God. Jehovah God. This is, I am the one. I am the Lord. There is no other. Besides me, there is no God. I will gird you, a girder, hold you, support you, though you have not known me, that men may know from the rising to the setting of the sun that there is no one besides me. And I am the Lord, and there is no other. The one forming light and creating darkness, causing well-being and creating calamity, I am the Lord who does all these. So, he is not surprised by anything, and he is in control of everything. Amen? He is not surprised by anything this morning. And he is absolutely in control of everything. Let's, uh, let's say we were trying to get a point across about the peace of God to, um, say, our children that are maybe, say... Uh, six years old up to, say, 15 or 16 years of age. And uh, so you, wanna, you want to give them an experience that will teach them something by uh, illustration. So you, you decide to pile the kids in the car, and you put a blindfold on every one of the kids' eyes so they cannot see for the next several moments. And you, you have mapped out a course, some in the city, maybe some in the country, or whatever it is, but you know there are four or five stops that you're going to be making. Now the kids are all blindfolded, and so you go to the first stop, you stop the van, and you take the blindfold off, and you tell the kids, now look around and tell me, write it down, number one stop, this is where you are. And then you put the blindfolds back on them, and you go to the second place. And you do the same thing. You take the blindfold off. You tell them, write down number two. Where do you think you are? All the way out into the country and the whole deal, several places that you have chosen. And then you come back to the Dairy Queen and you sit down, buy them all an ice cream cone and say, all right, let me see your papers. One, two, three, four, five. How many of you got it right that you knew where you were? And you discover that several of them, because you were careful in choosing the various locations, that several of them at some of the locations could not tell where they were. They knew they were on the earth somewhere, but they did not know where they were. And then you ask them this question. When you looked around and you could not identify anything, were you afraid? Were you afraid? And the answer will likely be no. Why were you not afraid? I was not afraid because you were driving the van and you knew where we were. You knew. You see, God knows where we are at all times. And I'm not talking about your location in a pew at Lakeview this morning, although that's in there. God knows where you are. He knows the circumstances you are in. He knows that Josh Huff, our, one of our music leaders, his grandpa, loved the Lord, had Alzheimer's, and he passed away. And Josh sent me a text, and he said, Pastor, just want you to know, I'm out of town, but we're praying for you and the people at Lakeview. See, God knows. God knew about Grandpa. 
God knew he was going to put it into Josh's heart to love on us and to support and pray for us. And, and so God knows exactly what's going on in your life and where you are and what's happening to us at this moment in time. And that right there is an example of the peace that God brings into our lives when we have peace with God. We have the peace of God that comes into our lives. And guess what? It is not based upon circumstances. And it is not based upon human wisdom. And it is not based upon a hollow hope or a fantasy or a little funny saying that people like to hear. It is based upon a faithful relationship with the one who loves us, with the only one who knows us, with the one who knows where we are and what is going on in our lives, and the one who is also guiding us toward good things in life and the hereafter. Now, let me hasten to say that the peace of God, having the peace of God, that we could not have if Jesus had not come into the world because there would have been no peace with God. The peace of God does not mean that we have no more troubles. It does not mean that. In fact, Jesus said to his disciples, in this world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. So as long as we are alive on this earth, there are going to be problems that we will have to face. It never, ever totally goes away in this life. Now, think about this, if you will, with me, about storms that come and go. This is, we got a storm. Uh, yesterday, it wasn't like this. Today, it's a little different out there. Storms come and go. Some storms that come into our lives that God is controlling are correcting storms. They point us in a better direction. They help us to realize that, uh, what was it in Genesis? He says, the, the lust of the eye and the lust of the flesh and the pride of life. That's what takes us down, sin's road. The lust of the eye. Somebody's having a little bit too much attention on lust. And so God brings and allows a storm to come into our life and brings some correction about the direction that we're going. Or some prideful thing that is welling up or some, some uh, just, uh, just wanting to be able to have things and overkill on things that we think will satisfy. And so correcting storms point us in a better direction. And there are some storms that come into our lives that some have called perfecting storms. And they, they are those storms that teach us about life and the deeper things that should matter. It's not just the fundamental issues about lust and about, you know, honesty, you know, murder and all these kinds of things. But it's about the deeper things in our spiritual journey. Things that God wants us to, to let those matter significantly in our journey with Him. And let me give you an example of what I'm talking about from the poem of Robert Browning Hamilton, and you'll recognize it as soon as I begin. And think about perfecting storms that deepen us, that take us into the, the sanctified, the holier side, the deeper side of our spiritual journey with God. Here's what he says, here's what he wrote. I walked a mile with pleasure. She chatted all the way, but left me none the wiser for all she had to say. I walked a mile with sorrow. And ne'er a word she said, but oh, the things I learned from her when sorrow walked with me. Philippians 4, 6, be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Somebody says, well, how do you, how do you get the peace of God? How do you do that when you've got a raging inferno about to burn your house down in California somewhere? I'm talking about emotional fires. I'm talking about financial fires. I'm talking about relational fires. 
I'm talking about vocational issues. I'm talking about all these kinds of things, temptations and all kinds of things that are, are fires that, that are burning. How, and, and, and you know it's going to be tough. And you know that, that you're, in, you're in the vice. You're, you know, you're in, in that hard, between a rock and a hard place. And how do you get the peace of God in your spirit? And here's the answer, and I don't have time to elaborate on it this morning, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. So, so if you're, do you know that in prayer, praying is not just saying, hey, God, help me, I got an emergency. Praying is reading the word of God. Praying is getting your hymnal out and singing God a song. Prayer is coming into the house of God and collectively joining in one heart, one spirit, one mind, thinking about heaven and the glory of heaven. You know, I was reminded of something, somebody, I've never said this before, but, it, but, it, but I, I caught someone putting me onto this one day, and I thought, that, that really resonated with my spirit. All of us have been to a funeral. And sometimes they're really sad because the people didn't have a relationship with God and with Jesus. Sometimes they're glorious and they're, they're praiseworthy, whatever. But you hear these people every time someone passes from this life to the next. And you'll hear people make this statement. Well, I sure hope George is looking over the balcony of heaven and he's watching what's going on. Sees, I'm in church today, and I'm sure that on this Christmas Sunday morning, Aunt Susie is really happy with me as she looks over the balconies of heaven and is watching what's going on in my world because I love her so much. I miss her so much. Now look, I don't know about that. We'll find out when we get to be with Jesus, whether he let him look over the balcony of heaven or not. We'll find that out. It's a nice thing to say. It's a pleasant thought. But think about this. You know, I think about my son, 14, 2001. He went to be with Jesus five, days, five, six days before the Twin Towers were hit of a bone cancer. Most of you know that. What's he doing right now? Is he looking over the balcony of heaven and watching me? He said, boy, that's my dad. He's still preaching the word of God. I knew I had a good dad. He loved Jesus, and he, he pointed me to Jesus. And Jesus, that's the guy that told me about Jesus early in my life. And I'm just so proud that Tim McClellan was my dad because he pointed me to you. And I, yeah, maybe he says that, and that'd be nice. <laughs> that'd really be nice. That's a very pleasant thought. But what if my son is in the presence of God Almighty, in the presence of the creator of this universe, that the glory of God is so powerful and so unusual and magnificent that, that a human being couldn't even look on him. And when Moses came down the mountain... They, the people couldn't even look on him because there was a brightness about him being in the presence of the Lord. And I, 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 I sub, subject to you, is it possible that some of our loved ones who are in heaven have a whole lot more they want to look at Jesus than they do want to look at the, over the balcony and watch what I'm doing? Hello? Think about it. So when we pray, when we get into God's word, and then when we make our supplications, our petitions, you know, you get your mind on, on the word of God, and you get your mind on the glory of God, and you get your mind uh, wrapping around this understanding that, that God controls the happy things, and God controls the calamities that he allows to come into our lives. Why? Because sometimes I need a correcting storm, and sometimes I need a perfecting storm. In my journey with God. How about you? I just be, amen. amen? I sometimes need that. You say, well, God is not the God of sinful and hardened. Well, he, he, he's a loving parent. And he loves me enough to correct me and to guide me and you too. And so when we begin to study the word and begin to think about God's magnificence and his glory and whatever. And we get our minds off of our own dismal things that just made us anxious and caused us not to have any peace. And we begin to see God, all of a sudden the peace of God begins to permeate that anxiety that we thought we couldn't get to sleep at night over. Let, and then, then let your request be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses people can't figure it out. They don't know how you did it. 
They can't understand how you kept your job going in the miserable situation you were in. They don't know how you kept going in a hard place when everybody told you to quit and give up. And they can't figure it out. It surpasses their comprehension. And that peace of God that He brings into our lives that you can't get without the peace with God will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. I'm telling you, this will hold you in 2018 if we get to live that long. This will help you. 2018 will have a correcting or a perfecting storm sooner or later in each of our lives. And this will help us to find the peace of God in those storms. Isaiah 9, 6. We read it. For a child will be born to us, a son will be given to us, and the government will rest on his shoulders. The more we kick Jesus out of our government and the whole thing, <laughs> that's a cons- I get a flag going up there. And his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of what? Prince of Peace. 2 Thessalonians 3.16 Now, may the Lord of Peace, may the Jesus of Peace himself, continually grant you peace in every circumstance. Not, not just the ones you could fix by yourself. Not just the ones that you, if you stopped by the office and visited one of the pastors or a counselor or someone, that, that they could help you. No, in every circumstance, the Lord be with you all. So as Jesus is parting, he leaves us in a little more of our common vernacular, this promise. He says, I am leaving you with a gift. Peace of mind. That's that's what I'm talking to you about today. You came into Christmas Sunday morning at Lakeview, and the subject is peace of mind. Everybody wants that. Nobody is against peace of mind who has a rational mind. I'm leaving you with a gift. Peace of mind and heart. You know, the heart is the seed of our emotion. The heart is, 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 is our, our personality is wrapped up in that heart, okay? And the mind is the one that can think up everything under the sun. You know, I can go to bed and, and in my heart, I feel like I'm at reasonably at peace. And then I can, I can kind of stir in the nighttime and then my mind starts throwing thoughts at me, at my heart. And then my heart can't go back to sleep. Because my mind condemned my heart. And they're at war sometimes. He said, no, I'm giving you a gift, peace of mind and heart. And the peace I give is a gift that the world cannot give. So, don't be troubled or afraid. So, you don't have to be troubled, church. You don't have to be afraid of whatever is going on in your world right now. Not because it feels better, but because God said it. Now, I want to show you one last thing before we close. Something about Jesus, which is amazing. The closer Jesus gets to his death on the cross, you read it. Most of you have read the story many times. The closer Jesus gets to his death on the cross, the more his focus was on others and not his own agony that he was about to endure. The closer Jesus got to the storm, the more he radiated love and concern for others and not himself. You know, if I'd been going to the cross in the morning, if I had to go to the cross, I'd be saying, oh boy, you know, I want to pick a favorite last meal, but I don't know if I can eat because I'm not hungry and I'm, I'm, woe is me. And I don't know how about, I don't know. Is that, does it really hurt when the nail goes through your hand? And what happens if they poke you in the side with the sword and, and uh, how thirsty will I get? And will I be able to breathe? You know, I had some dental work done recently and they had to rebuild a tooth that broke and, and they had my mouth open for about 25 minutes and I was could hardly breathe, and they're, and they're dropping. He said, don't swallow, I'm dropping stuff down in the back of your throat. And I'm, going, I'm trying to, you know, I'm getting claustrophobia, and I, I'm, I was, I'm, let me out of here, you know. And, and so sometimes you, 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 you feel that you've got this, this difficult thing that is just choking you. That's what I've been talking about. But no, Jesus practiced, practiced his peace of God by walking through the most difficult assignment anybody could ever face 
And the worst of it was not the pain and the agony. The worst of it was what Zach was talking about, leaving his rightful place beside his father in glory in heaven and suffering the degradation and the humiliation of sin that he never did. Your sin and my sin. And he died in and for that rebellion against God. That's why Jesus died. And in the midst of all that, here's what he showed. He showed the peace of God. And I'll give you two examples and we'll close. Luke 23, 39. One of the criminals who were hanged there was hurling abuse at him, saying, Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other answered in rebuking him and said, Do you not even fear God since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed are suffering justly, for we are receiving what we deserve for our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. And he was saying, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said to him, Truly I say to you today, you shall be with me in paradise. What, what would I have said? I would have said, are you kidding me? I'm dying up here. You did rotten stuff and you deserve to be up here. I don't deserve to be up here. And you're going to start talking to me about me helping you out. Get a life. That's what I probably would have said. I wouldn't have been proud of it, but I, I might have thought that at least. No, today you shall be with me in paradise. There was a peace of God in Jesus when he was facing the storm of his life. John 19, 25. Therefore, the soldiers did these things, but standing by the cross of Jesus were his mother and his mother's sister Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. And when Jesus then saw his mother and the disciple, we know his name was John, and the disciple whom Jesus loved standing nearby. He saw his mom and he saw one of his favorite disciples standing nearby. And he said, Mom, woman, behold your son. And then he said to the disciple, behold your mother. And from that hour, John the disciple took Mary into his own household. Jesus, when he had every reason in the world to say, don't bother me, this hurts. This is humiliating. This is painful. I didn't deserve this. What's going on here? No, he looked at his mom and he said, Mom, I'm going to take care of you. I'm getting ready to leave, but I'm not going to leave you alone. Here's John. He's going to look after you until I come again. In Jesus Christ, we can have peace with God by having our sins forgiven. Are yours? And in Jesus Christ, this one who came, the big picture from beginning to end, we can have the peace of God by knowing that he cares for us and that we do not need to fear the future. Jesus brings us peace. Would you stand? So, in light of what I've shared, would you bow your heads and close your eyes for just a moment? And then we're going to go out into the snow. It doesn't look too bad out there right now. And I just wonder if there aren't some people that would say, I, I don't know that I have peace with God. I, I, I have this feeling that my sin may follow me as I face God. And I don't have that peace. And I, I, it isn't that I, I just want to pass to get out of hell. I just, when you explain it like that, I, I, I just want to love somebody that would do that for me. I need it, but I also want to love him for doing it. And so I just like to pray a prayer this morning because I never really understood this quite like this. And so here's my prayer, God. Dear God in heaven, I agree with you. I'm a sinful person and I do not have peace. I, I, I am not sure that I have sought your forgiveness. And even if I did seek it, 
I haven't sought it through Jesus Christ. I'm pretty certain of that. So I want to go on record today with you, Jesus, as asking you to come and be in my life. And for whatever reason, I have this faith that God, God, you seem to have put faith in me that this is true, it's real, and that I can put my faith and trust in it. And I invite you, Jesus, to come into my life, into my heart, and for saving me, here, here's, here's what you can count on from me. I'm going to give you my best effort, if you'll just help me, to live the way you want me to live. But mostly, I just need your forgiveness, and I need your help. And so I thank you for hearing my prayer this morning and coming into my life. I don't believe you'd lie. And you said to as many as received him, to them gave he the right to be called the sons and daughters of God. And so thank you for saving me this morning, Jesus. Amen. No one looking around. If you prayed that prayer for the very first time in your life, would you slip your hand up and put it right back down? Slip your hand up. If that's the first time you've ever prayed a prayer like that, slip it up. Slip it up. It's to God. It's not to me. God bless you. Someone else. Someone else. Now, Heavenly Father, the rest of us, we need your help to practice the peace of God. And I'd be the first one to say I'm chief of all sinners because I can get anxious and I can get worried and I could get concerned about a whole lot of things. Tomorrow morning, if that's what uh, you allow for us to do, um, my wife and I, you know, Father, are planning to drive a long way (laughs) in the snow. And I could get myself all thoughtful about that. I don't need to be anxious. I can just talk to you about it and say, if you don't want me to go, then you know how to stop me. And if you allow me to go with your blessing, then I'll be all right no matter what happens. Help me to live my life that way. Help us as believers in Christ to take the most difficult challenges that we have. It could be an unsaved grandchild or a son or a daughter or a work situation that is impossible, that is miserable or one that just got away from us and we don't have work at this time of the year and the utilities are high and we have all these problems or someone who does just is, is confused about love and commitment and has operated in betrayal and sadness and different kinds of things. Lord, you know, you know about all these things. You know about the future. We have young people here, Father, who are just launching their lives into college and into the future, and, and they need your direction. Give them peace about these decisions. Lord, we need to be a people of peace so that our friends and our neighbors can say there's something unusual about that man or that woman, and I want some of that. And so help us to be winsome, Lord, and people who who enjoy and practice the peace of God. Thank you for this Christmas season. Lord, if you want us to be here tonight, work it out for us. And we look forward to just enjoying this precious Christ Mass, this death of Jesus on the cross, more so than just a baby born in a cradle, but a Savior who died a miserable death that we might live and have peace with God. And we praise you and all of God's people said together. Amen.